All right, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Man, last week you were way more ready than that. So uh, I'm going to give you one more try. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right, good, good, good. Hey, uh, welcome back, LifePoint family. It's good to see you. Uh, guests, if you are new, if this is your first time joining us here on a Sunday morning, we're thrilled to have you with us. I say this to our new folks each week, but there are some QR codes on the back of your, uh, on the front of your chairs, excuse me, on the chairs in front of you. Uh, sometimes you wonder maybe, can I pull my smartphone out in church? The answer is yes. We encourage you to do so. Point it at that QR code. It'll take you to a resource we've developed for you called lpguest.com. If you have any trouble with that, you can just pull up a browser and type in lpguest.com. But that's uh, just a resource to help orient you for the morning. It's it's got the message notes that'll be on the screens for you. It's got our church calendar. It's got a bunch of helpful things just to, again, help you with your Sunday morning here and understand who we are as a church. And also, uh, we would love if you'd take a moment. We want to connect with you, and we'd love to be able to do that both personally and digitally. So if you'd take a moment and fill out the guest information card there, uh, new folks, that would be awesome. There are some ministries listed there. You'll see uh, those are partner ministries of ours around Central Ohio. Take a minute, just click one of those that you're passionate about, and we'll donate $5 in your honor uh, from our church to that ministry in your honor. No strings attached. Uh, there's no like, and then what? Uh, it's just our way of saying thanks so much uh, for being with us. Uh, this morning. Um, we're going to be in Luke 8 this morning, so if you've got a Bible, you can open up to Luke 8 and uh, just keep your finger there or your thumb there, or whether you're using physical Bible or phone or what have you, but go to Luke 8. But before we jump into that, I'm actually going to ask that we uh, take some time to uh, just pray together. Um, if, you are, if you've been here for any length of time, you know we launched out our Marion campus a few months ago, and uh, right about the same time we launched out the Plain City campus as well, and both are doing great. Uh, in Marion, we are still waiting, I uh, will say. We're meeting every single week. Uh, teams are doing great. Uh, we're still waiting on our facility up there. And so this has just taken much, much longer. If you live in the construction world, you know things are a bit chaotic right now. And uh, we were hoping for like February and then March and then April and then May and now it's June. And, and just looking at ahead, we're not entirely sure what to expect there. So I'm just going to ask if, if we would pray together uh, that the Lord, a couple of things. One, Paul and I have been talking about this over the last few weeks. We don't trust, scriptures say we don't trust in chariots or horses. We trust in the name of the Lord our God for us. Or if you contextualize that to the 21st century, we don't trust in buildings to disciple people. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. Um, and also, we would like to move in, right? We would like to be able to move into our uh, more permanent facility there for at least for a time. And so, uh, if you would, let's pray that God would move even as we're in the waiting season, that he would encourage uh, the hearts of our folks there, encourage Paul and Maddie and the team there, that we would see him move even before we get into that building, and that God would expedite that process. So let's just pray together. Uh, Father, we uh, thank you for who you are. We thank you that, God, you're in control. Uh, these situations often surprise us and frustrate us, uh, but Father, uh, you are not frustrated and you are not surprised. And so, God, um, we do humbly but expectantly appeal to you. And we ask that you would encourage, Father, our brothers and sisters who are gathering and meeting in Marion, that you would help them to reach people with the gospel there. Uh, Father, we uh, sent folks, we believe in obedience to you. And so we appeal to you and we ask that you would encourage them, that God, we would see you move even before we get to move into uh, our facility, that we would see you at work, see evidence, uh, God, that you have been at work there already. Uh, Father, uh, and then we do ask that you would expedite that process, that soon, Father, we would get uh, just more concrete updates on what the process looks like, and that, Father, we would be able to move in there, uh, effectively reach and disciple that community for the glory of God. 
We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, as we've said, we've been in this uh, labels series. We're going through the Gospel of Luke, and uh, the big idea um, has been that the Gospel calls us to a life above labels, right? We, uh, when we look in the Gospel of Luke, we see consistently Jesus associating with people uh, that uh, the culture said, well, you, don't, you, don't, you shouldn't associate with those folks, right? They've been labeled tax collector, sinner, leper, right? Someone who's unclean, someone that you don't really want to spend time with. And Jesus just keeps crossing those barriers and saying, no, it's not about the labels that you put on yourself or the labels culture puts on you. It's about uh, turning from your sin, trusting Jesus with your life and following him. And so we've been studying through the gospel of Luke. We've been reading through the gospel of Luke this month. If you're joining us, we're praying through the gospel. Gospel of Luke, and uh, we're encouraging folks to go back over in one chapter a day, take Sundays off, but go one chapter a day and pray over Luke recently. Uh, I think yesterday, actually, you would have gone through Luke 10, Luke 10 2, where it says, right, pray, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray uh, to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up laborers for that harvest, to send workers out, people who are willing to sh go share the gospel. Just this morning, one of our folks on one of our teams found me and said, hey, I have to share this with you. I was going on uh, just a few day trip with, uh, she said, a girlfriend of hers, someone she's been best friends with for years. And she said, this person's not a believer. And uh, as we were on this trip, I mentioned my alarm went off at 10.02. And, and she's like, what is that about? And she said, well, our church is praying through the gospel of Luke each day at 10.02. And she said, that sparked a huge conversation about the Lord, about uh, the gospel. And so much so that the next day at 10.02, she said, hey, it's 10.02. Aren't you supposed to be praying? Uh, which is awesome, right? And so uh, please set that reminder, 10.02 each day, and just watch what the Lord will do as we pray together as his people that God would draw people uh, to himself. But we've been going through the Gospel of Luke. Today, we're going to be in Luke 8. But before we read Luke 8, I'm actually going to read from Jonah chapter 1, which some of us may be like, what in the world, right? Why are we in Jonah chapter 1? Hopefully, we'll, we'll make that evident here in a bit. So if you know the story of Jonah, uh, some of us may hear that and all you think of is the great fish, right? The whale, Jonah and the belly of the fish. And you're like, it's a nice children's story. Uh, when you read the, the book, it's, it's much more than that. It's a story of a man of God who refused to do what God said um, because of his prejudice. And so God tells Jonah in Israel in the 8th century BC, I want you to go preach to the Ninevites, to the capital of Assyria. Assyria was the enemy of Israel, actually ended up destroying the northern kingdom of Israel. But he says, I want you to go there and, and preach a message of repentance to them, to turn from their sin because God is going to uh, send destruction upon them. Well, Jonah wants none of that. He's like, I'm not going to talk to the Ninevites, right? And so he, uh, he gets on a boat God says, I want you to go here. And he gets on a boat. If you look at it on a map, you sort of understand the almost humorous nature of it. Like it's over here, Nineveh, and he gets on a boat that's going this way, right? The exact opposite direction uh, to the other end of the world, right? He's like, I want to get as far away from this as possible. So he hops on this boat, uh, but I want to read from verse four, five, and six of Jonah one. It says, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. 
So you've got this scene, right, uh, on the sea, a violent storm, the professional uh, fishermen and professional sailors who are overwhelmed by the strength and might of the sea who eventually go to the man of God who's sleeping at the bottom of the ship. You'll see the similarities, I think, here in a moment. But if you know the rest of the story, right, Jonah eventually gets up and tells them, it's my fault. God's anger is directed right at me right now because of my sin. Just throw me overboard, right? And everything will be well. And uh, they throw him overboard. And of course, he's caught in the belly of the fish and the storm subsides. You might wonder, great, what does that have to do with Luke and the gospel, right? What does that have to do with Jesus and Luke 8? Well, just hold the story in your mind. Put that story in your back pocket and uh, we'll swing back to it at the end. Luke 8 there in verse 22, what Luke is doing, as we've said pretty much every week, uh, this is part of the beautiful nature of Luke, is that he's stacking up stories, story after story after story, to prove the power or to illustrate the power and the authority of Jesus. And ultimately, through those stories, he's pointing us to this inescapable conclusion around the identity of Christ. Who is Jesus? That's sort of the central question of, of the Gospel of Luke. You keep hearing people say it over and over. Who is this man? And Luke is trying to prove to us through these stories, he's not just a great teacher. He's not just a religious figure. He's not just someone you look up to. He's not just a good example. But he really is the Messiah, the one the Old Testament has been pointing to, both through actual prophetic statements, but all through, also through stories, that these stories are almost echoes of what's to come. He is the Son of God in the flesh and our only hope for salvation. That's what Luke is trying to prove over and over and over. And here in Luke 8, I had hoped to cover two stories because he, he's, he's got a reason for putting these two, two stories together. One proves Jesus' authority over the natural realm, the physical realm. One shows his authority over the spiritual realm. So I had hoped to also hit the uh, demon-possessed man, right, uh, that Jesus delivers in the very next story. But we're not going to get to that one. We're going to focus exclusively on Jesus' authority over the physical realm here in verses 20 through, two, through 25. It says this in verse 22, one day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Now note that, right? He tells them where they're going. Let's get in a boat and let's go to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake some versions might say just windstorm. So apparently uh, the Sea of Galilee, this is the sea that they're on, right? The Sea of Galilee uh, is, is apparently known for a little bit. It's violent and sudden storms that hit it. It's 600 feet below sea level, right? So what happens is, I'm going to talk like I know what I'm talking about, but I'm just parroting what other people say, right? It's about weather. So cold air from the mountains, right? A little time with meteor or meteorologist Kale here, right? So cold air comes down from the mountains and flows into this basin. But because it sits down, uh, the hot air and the cold air meet together in this bowl, basically, and it just freaks out. And so you get, as you're on the, the sea, um, you get these sudden and violent windstorms. In fact, one pastor and scholar said he was taking a tour of the Holy Land at one point in time, and he was sitting on a boat on the Sea of Galilee with a tour guide. And he said, hey, tour guide, have you ever been on the sea when one of these storms hit? And the tour guide said, yes, I have, and I hope never to be again. That violent. So we're not, we're not talking about like, it got windy. It's a real storm right? And look at the end of verse 23 here. So that the boat was being swamped 
and they were in great danger. But I think it's important to note, Luke doesn't say, and they thought they were in great danger, or the disciples freaked out, but it wasn't actually a big deal. It's a violent storm, really awful, really scary, big wind, big waves. The boat is seemingly going to sink, and he says they were in great danger. From the, from the physical evidence that they can see from their perspective, looking at the wind, looking at the height of the waves, and looking at the state of the boat, things don't look good. And so, verse 24, the disciples went and woke him, right? So they, after seemingly trying everything humanly possible, right, to figure it out themselves, they eventually appealed to Jesus. It says they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And he got up, and I just... Please note the, the almost nonchalant way in which Luke reports this, right? He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. I think sometimes we, uh, we miss the significance of that moment. Maybe if you've read the story before or if you're just reading it for the first time even, maybe you kind of read it and you're like, oh, like he got up. Then you think about what just happened for a moment. It says they went to Jesus, he got up, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and all was calm. So we don't have, uh, we don't have a lot of seas and lakes around here, right? And we're in the Midwest. Lake Erie doesn't count, right? I'm, I'm just kidding. If you love Lake Erie, you're from that area, right? It totally counts. But I don't know about you. I didn't grow up like on the water. So we, we just, we maybe don't have a reference for this a ton, but we do have really nasty thunderstorms, right? We just had one recently. I think this week, as far as I understand, right? Tornado touched down somewhere or was forming somewhere. And, and you've, we've probably all been in those moments where like the clouds are darkening, and the lightning strikes, and the torrential downpour starts, and it's like everybody inside, right? Time to get inside. Can you imagine for a moment, I just want you to picture yourself being there, right? Like the clouds are dark, lightning strikes, torrential downpour, you know like we need to batten down the hatches for a bit and get into the basement. And then your buddy stands up and is like, I got this. Quiet down. And then like, the rain stops and the clouds dissipate and a minute later the sun is back out and the birds are chirping and it's just a typical, right? It's a nice summer day. What would your response be? What would you think of that? I mean, to look at that person and be like, what just happened? And that's exactly, that's exactly what the disciples do. In fact, look at, look at verse 25. There are two things that happen here in verse 25. One, we're going to focus a lot of attention on what Jesus asks them, but we'll focus a little bit of attention on their reaction to what just happened. Verse 25, Jesus looks at them and says, where is your faith? You could circle or underline that statement and you can write next to it. Mark and Matthew report Jesus as saying something additionally. Where is your faith? And he says, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Why were you scared? And then look at their response. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? I told you, right, that question is sort of the central question of, of the Gospel of Luke in some way. Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. They're afraid, and they are amazed. And you might ask, why is that, right? And, and that's a very legitimate question, because you're like, really, disciples? Like, you guys have seen him. <laughs> You've seen him heal people. They're about to see him heal a demon-possessed man. 
raise people from the dead? Like, you would almost think in some ways, maybe they wouldn't be surprised at this point in time, but they still don't have a full understanding of who Jesus is. And they've seen him, they've seen his uh, authority over the spiritual realm, but they've not seen his authority over the natural realm quite like this. In fact, when you kind of dig into why would they be so, I mean, why would they stand back and say, who is this who commands the wind and the waters? So in ancient cultures, right, the, the wind, the waters, the seas uh, often were represented of evil forces, untamable evil forces. In fact, if you read into a good number of ancient myths and mythology, right, around how did the world start, it's oftentimes like the good gods and the bad gods fighting against one another. And oftentimes there's some sort of chaos monster or bad god that governs the oceans and the seas. It represents, those natural forces represent like it's untamable evil and it has to be conquered. Which is why when you look at Genesis 1, it's so incredible. What does Genesis 1 start with? In the beginning, what? God. And there's no competition. There's no like epic fight between him and another God where it's the battle of good and evil and we're not sure who's going to win. It starts off with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he creates the oceans and the raging seas and he tells them where their boundaries are here and no further. And then all through the Old Testament, the power and authority to command the natural elements is attributed to God and God alone. I'll read you an example. Psalm 89, verse 8 and 9. O Lord, God of hosts. O, literally, O Yahweh, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are. O Yahweh, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. So you got that in your mind, right, as an Israelite, that the Lord, Yahweh, stills the mighty waters, parts the raging sea, tells it to be still, and then Jesus stands up and does that very thing. Do you begin to understand the significance of the moment? They're sitting there, and, and these are moments where maybe beginning to realize, like, the God of the Old Testament has put on flesh and is in the boat with us. He's not just a man. He's not just a good teacher. He has authority over demons and diseases, is raising people from the dead, and now he just looked at water and wind and told him. And Mark tells us in the Greek, it's, it's only two words. He just stands up and says, peace, right? Be still. In English, it's peace, be still. In the Greek, it's two words. Just be quiet. He doesn't have to shout. He to raise its voice, right? Parents, you're like teach me, right? How, how do you, right? Peace, be still. And they obey. And their response, I think, is actually quite appropriate for the Christian. You say, how should we respond to the, fear God and be amazed at who he is. Fear God and be amazed at who he is. Did you see it said in fear and amazement? There is a right fear. So we're going to talk actually for the rest of our time almost about not fearing, right? Not being afraid. But that's really not being afraid of the circumstances, not being afraid of the enemy, not being afraid of the world, not being afraid. But there's a, that fear is driven out by the perfect love of God and also by having an appropriate fear of who God is, of looking at him and going, man, he is majestic. And we just saying, isn't he wonderful, glorious, beautiful? He is beyond compare. And I have an appropriate fear of who he is and it causes me not to fear other things. 
not to be afraid of other things, but just to be amazed at who he is. This God, this Jesus who commands the wind and waves, and then and when you understand the gospel, you move beyond that to saying, man, I'm amazed at the fact that this God sent his only son so that we could become his sons and daughters. This God who commands the wind and the waves actually cares about your life personally, your decisions, your family, your children, your life. But let's turn our attention back to Jesus' question. Fear God and be amazed at who he is, but let's look at Jesus' question because that's it's, it's the central question of this text is him looking at them, right? Where is your faith? Where is your faith? And why are you so afraid? I was praying this week about, Lord, you know, there's multiple messages or sermons even just inside of these few verses, but what is it that we need to hear? What is it that we need to hear from this? What needs to be highlighted? And I think this may be it. Some of us, the reality is, and this is not a statement about just COVID, right? This is bigger than COVID. It was happening before COVID. It'll happen after COVID. Some of us, the reality is we're living in a constant state of fear. And for some of us, look, here, let me hear, let me, hear me say this. This is a temptation for all of us. That in some ways, a natural human reaction when things happen that are outside of our control, right? Fear, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? But some of us, we've fallen into that temptation. We've gotten so deep in it. Now it's become a prison. It's the prison in which we live. And I heard a, a buddy just this week, godly man, he and I were having lunch and he reminded me, you know, Kale, for the believer in Christ, the enemy can't touch your eternity. But what he tries to do is just make you as ineffective in the present as possible as ineffective for Christ as possible. And one of the ways he can do that is by getting us to live inside of that prison, right? Where we're not willing to step out in faith and be bold for the sake of Christ, but we're so afraid and so fixated on the wind and the waves and the storms that we're just not willing to get out of the boat anymore. And if that's where you are this morning, but if I say that and you're right now thinking, that is my life. I just want you to know it's okay but I really don't believe that Jesus wants you to stay there. And I believe maybe this morning will be the morning that God brings you out of that and breaks down some of those strongholds and gives you the opportunity to walk in the freedom that Jesus has bought for you. So let's think about the question, right? Where is your faith? <laughs> don't be afraid. And think about how that would have, I mean, to the disciples. I can imagine the disciples, right, looking back at Jesus being like, what do you mean? <laughs> Did you not see the, what do you mean, why are you afraid? Did you not see the wind? Did you not feel the wind and see the waves? And did you not feel the boat shaking and almost beginning to capsize and sink? And you can almost imagine Jesus kind of looking back at them and saying, no, I could feel it. I could, I could see the waves. I noticed the storm. But after all that you've seen, do you not trust me and my word? Because did you catch in verse 22 what Jesus said? Remember, what did he say? He said, let's get in the boat and what? And drown? <laughs> That's not what he said in verse 20. He didn't say, let's get to the boat, go to the middle of the sea so we can all die. He said, let's get in the boat and go what? To the other side. I missed that, right? It was one commentator who noted, right, that the disciples apparently missed that as well. Not trusting what the Lord had said. Let's get in the boat and let's go to the other side. And here they are going, we're going to drown. Jesus like, that's not what I said we were going to do. Do you trust me in the midst of what's happening? And that question, where is your trust in me and in my word? 
that question is as, re as relevant for us today as it was for the disciples 2,000 years ago. Do you trust Christ? Do you trust Jesus? And do you trust in his word? And you say, well, Caleb, what word has he given to me? What is it? Can I just read to you, right? So in the midst of the circumstances, in the midst of the storms of life, which are inevitable, you and I need, this is why we've encouraged us to be in the word, to be creatures of the word, because here are the promises you find in the word. Jesus' words to you. He who began a good work in us will complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus says, no one can take them from my hand. When you are in Christ, no one can snatch you from him. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. Jesus, if he is for us, who can stand against us? This is all from the Bible, by the way. Do not be anxious about anything, the Apostle Paul says, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make known your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, a peace that doesn't make sense in the midst of storms, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That God is working in all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Revelation tells us one day Jesus is going to return and that he'll wipe every tear from our eyes and that death will be no more and crying no more and pain no more for the former things have passed away and God now dwells with his people. And in the meantime, we have Jesus' word in Matthew 28 where he says to his disciples and to you and me, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to whom? To him, therefore go and make disciples. And then he promises what? And I will be with you to the very end of the age. As long as you are in pursuit of Christ and trying to make disciples in obedience to Jesus, Jesus says, I promise I will be in the boat with you. I promise I will be. See, th this, is, this is the crucial part that the disciples seem to either not understand or forget. They're looking at the storm and the wind and the waves and all of that's legitimate. I'm not saying the storms don't exist, but they forgot the power of the person in the boat with them. And I think for some of us, that's where we are today. As we're looking at the storms, we're looking at the wind, we're looking at the waves and we're petrified. And look, I'm not saying again those storms don't exist, but we've forgotten the one who said, hey, all authority has been given to me. You go make disciples and I will be with you to the very end of the age. We've forgotten who it is in the boat with us and the fact that he commands those very storms. And even, this is where it gets, this is where it gets right, even if we should die in pursuit of Christ, even if the boat sinks, it's okay because our eternity is secure with Christ. Even if you should die, right, early in the pursuit of Christ, in obedience to Jesus. By the way, right, like, oh, we've said this before, all of us are going to die. Happy Sunday, right? I know it's good to be here with you, right? Like, all of us are going to die. That's inevitable. And we've said this before, man, better to spend 50 or 60 or 70 years in the pursuit of Jesus, in hot pursuit of Christ, making your life matter for the kingdom than lingering for 95 and wasting time and twiddling your thumbs. There's a, a great story. Morgan and I are listening to The uh, Insanity of God right now, which I would recommend. It is not a light read. If you're like, I was looking for some light evening reading, this is not it. The Insanity of God, first half is, is honestly crazy, depressing, and then the second half 
is, is one of the most encouraging uh, and challenging and inspiring latter halves of a book I've ever read because he, he this guy travels the globe and, and really goes to specifically to persecuted church areas, to the persecuted church, and he interviews believers there to try to understand how does faith survive in the midst of persecution. And um, one of the folks that he talks to is in, uh, in Russia, and uh, it was common during sort of the, the communist era of Russia that pastors and Christians were, uh, were persecuted heavily, and uh, pastors often thrown into jail. And so one of the stories came from uh, a village out in, I think it was Siberia, where the pastor was thrown into jail and his family, his wife and children were sent exiled into Siberia and to basically die there. And uh, they get put out in this little house and, and comes a night where uh, there's just no food. And uh, a deacon of a local church was woken up in the middle of the night. And the Lord, right, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, hey, you need to hitch your horse and you need to gather up some food and you need to take it to this family. And he starts arguing with the Holy Spirit, which, I, like, that's a temptation for all of us. It's a bad idea, right? Like, just when the Lord says, do something, the answer is, like, like do it, right? And, and so he begins to kind of argue with the Lord. He's like, Lord, you know, it's, it's negative 30 degrees or whatever it is. Like, I might not make it back. And he said, the Holy Spirit literally said to him, I didn't say anything about coming back. I just told you to go. Now, for some of us, that blew up our whole theology, right? You're like, God would never, my God would never tell me to go and not get like, that could, he would never send me into a dangerous situation. And man, I, I love you. Like, if that's your view of God, you're not reading the Bible. He is a good God and he loves you and he knows what is best for you. And, and sometimes he will send us into situations that are dangerous and it's, man, I told you to go. <laughs> and there's no promise you might come back. Now, the guy did make it back, by the way. But that's not the point. The point is he was not given that promise. He was just given the promise of Jesus' presence. I told you to go. I'll be with you as you're working in obedience to me. Even if we were to die in the pursuit of Christ, I think Jesus is still looking at us saying, look, trust me. Trust me. I'm in the boat with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. By my Holy Spirit, I am with you daily and the storms are going to come. That's inevitable. Where you place your attention, where you fix your attention in the midst of the storm is incredibly important. That is what really matters. When the storms hit, do you look at the wind and the waves? Do you begin to go through, how can I solve this? Or do you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and say, Lord, no matter what, I trust you. I'll have faith. And not, sometimes when we say that, right? Like, what does it mean? To, I'm gonna just have faith. Mark Twain, uh, American author, through one of his characters said, believe in, right? Faith is believe in what you know ain't so. That's clever, but dumb, right? That's not what, no offense to Mark Twain, but that's not what Christian faith is, okay? Somebody looks at you and says, just have faith. And what, you, what that means is like, just be positive. Why? I don't know because you need to maintain hope. That's not what Christian faith is. Christian faith is not believing what you know ain't so. Christian faith is trusting the person and work and finished work of Jesus Christ, even in the midst of the storms. That's Christian faith. Christian faith is trusting in the work and in the word and in the finished work of Jesus and saying, I trust you even when the storm, especially 
when the storms hit. My faith is not in my circumstances or just in a nebulous concept of being positive. My faith is placed in Christ and in who he is and what he's done. That's faith. And so I said earlier, right, some of us are living in sort of a prison of fear. And again, it's a temptation for all of us. But some of us right now, we're, if you're honest, like afraid of the future, afraid of what's going to happen with the economy, afraid of what's happening with COVID or going to happen with COVID, afraid of what's going to happen with the next election, afraid of what's happening uh, with the climate, afraid of what's happening with the war, afraid of what's happening in our culture and the social and moral change, afraid of what's happening with technology and the rate of that change. And, and it's just, oh Lord, like I'm fixated on the waves and the storm and you're kind of going, Jesus, it's scary out there. The ships were sinking. Don't you care? I think Jesus is saying to us, church, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. You go make disciples. Don't be afraid. Trust me. Be bold. Be courageous. That's not the same thing as being stupid, right? But be bold. Be courageous. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Keep your faith, eyes fixed on Jesus and continue being obedient to him no matter what happens. We're going to be okay because we serve the God of the universe, the one who commands the wind and the waves who raises people from the dead, who casts out demons, who rose from the grave himself. And we have to ask ourselves the question as we approach the different circumstances of our life and we go into those storms, and I don't know what your storms look like. I mean, I I know some of them because I've talked with you, but I I know for different folks that's going to look differently. But the question is, as you approach those and as the waves hit, do you believe and do you trust that God is holding your life and your eternity in his hands. Do you believe? Do you trust? And look, again, I'm not saying the storms aren't real, that they're imagined. It's all in your mind. It's not. I sat down with a guy this week who his wife was diagnosed with cancer a number of years ago, an aggressive form. It's gone into remission for a while, and now the numbers begin to climb again. And those are moments that will test your theology. Those are moments that will test your faith. Do we really believe this? Do we really trust him? No matter what, because he promised he'd be in the boat with us. Let me close with this. I told you, started with Jonah. I promised I'd get back there, right? And we get back to Jonah. So let me close with this. The, the story, uh, hopefully you noticed a few similarities, right? Like, okay, we got guys in a boat, somebody sleeping, right? The man of God sleeping in the bottom of the boat for very different reasons, by the way. Jesus is in total control and at peace and he's sleeping. I think Jonah is probably depressed. I think Jonah, you ever had those moments where your problems and you know you're doing something wrong and you're like, I just don't want to think about this. I'm going to go sleep. That's where Jonah is, right? I just don't want to deal with this. So he goes and he sleeps. But then you have the men who wake the man of God and cry out, we're drowning. And here's where it seems very dissimilar. But I think actually Jonah's story is just pointing to Christ. See, Jonah is thrown in. He says, basically, sacrifice me. Throw me into the storm and the wrath of God will be appeased because I'm the one who sinned and it's against me. Jesus gets up and commands the wind and the waves and all is well. And you think, oh, that's a clear difference in the story. But Tim Keller says it this way and I love it. He says, you know what? As you look forward to Jesus's future, you realize there's the day coming where Jesus is going to say, throw me into the storm. 
throw me into the storm of God's wrath against sin. Not mine, but yours. Not Christ's sin, but our sin. And Jesus basically says, throw me off the boat. He's hung on the cross and steps into the storm of God's wrath against sin for you and for me that we might experience peace. And Jonah's three days in the belly of a whale and Jesus three days in the grave. And then praise God on the third day he's delivered. He's raised from the grave and Jesus promises, because I live, you too can live. This is why we say when you read the Old Testament, you gotta keep an eye on, man, where is Christ? How is this pointing to Christ? It's not just random moral stories about, that's neat, you can survive getting swallowed by a fish, right? It's, no, 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 no. It's pointing us toward the person and the work of Jesus. And so some of us are here today and here's what needs to happen. You're in that prison of fear today. That's been your life maybe, maybe for some time. And Jesus is saying, trust me. I'm in the boat with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you just need to repent today and say, Lord, forgive me. Restore to me the joy of, your sal- of my salvation and give me gospel confidence and boldness for the future. I don't want to be afraid anymore. And for some of us, you just don't know who Jesus is. And you've never taken that step to say, man, I can turn from my sin and trust my life to this God, this God who would send his own son, who would give his own life for me. And I wanna invite you to take that step today if you're ready. Let's pray together. Father, um, first, God, I want to pray for those this morning and, and give, uh, give them an opportunity to pray. If, if it's you right now that you, you're in that first category of folks where you would say, man, I, I have been operating in fear, fixated on the storms, time in the word drowned out, time in prayer drowned out and eyes pretty focused on all the things that are going wrong and all the what-ifs. I just want to give you a moment to pray and repent and say, Lord, forgive me. Pray to him. Ask him to restore the joy of your salvation and that he would give you gospel confidence and boldness for the future. Take some time and pray that now. Father, we do ask for that boldness. God, we ask forgiveness for the times where we are more focused on the wind and the waves than we are on you. God, forgive us for the times that we forget the one who holds our very life and eternity uh, in his hands. You call us to childlike faith, Lord. It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. But Father, it is so easy to drift from that. And forgive us and help us. 
And then I pray for those, God, who are here this morning who have never taken a step to be in relationship with you, never really answered that question, who is this Jesus? And Father, for those folks this morning, uh, if they're ready, if this is you and you're ready, I just want to invite you to pray with me. You can pray in your own words. You can pray with me. Uh, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And this morning, right now, I'm turning from my sin and I trust you with my life. I give my life to you. And I don't want to be afraid anymore. I want to follow you and boldly walk with you. And I claim what you did at the cross and your resurrection for me personally. Thank you for saving me. And from now on, God, help me to follow you. God, we thank you that you're at work. We thank you that you continue to save people. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.